Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, it's Mr. Palumbo on this Motivational Monday. Hope everyone's doing well. You know, I thought it'd be a good idea to dig a little deep into some world history. Well, actually, maybe more philosophy would be the topic of today's podcast. You know, uh, philosophy started a long time ago, and even though we tend to think people that came, uh, you know, the ancients, they're just a bunch of dummies with sticks and rocks, you know, they actually were very smart people. And in many ways, I've talked to several colleagues about that, about this, uh, in many ways, the ancients perhaps were more enlightened than we are today. So let's talk about uh, what I'm going to call the three lessons from Marcus Aurelius. I'm sure some of you have heard that name before, but maybe you haven't. Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor. He was the last of what is known as the five good emperors. Well, who are the five good emperors? Well, the five good emperors are Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Antonus Pius, and Marcus Aurelius. According to ancientorigins.net, The five good emperors is a term referring to a group of Roman emperors who reigned between the 1st and 2nd centuries A.D. This period is often regarded to be a high point of the Roman Empire, as the prosperity and the power of the empire was uninterrupted for 80 years. Now, we don't have time to go over all the exploits of these, quote, five good emperors, unquote, But we often discuss how these rulers were more or less uh, just and they put the needs of the empire over their own. So that's why they're considered, quote, good. However, Aurelius is quite literally the epitome of what we often call the philosopher king. History.com writes, Aurelius was, quote, known for his philosophical interests Marcus Aurelius was one of the most respected emperors in Roman history. He was born into a wealthy and politically prominent family. Growing up, Marcus Aurelius was a dedicated student learning Latin and Greek, but his greatest intellectual interest was Stoicism, a philosophy that emphasized faith, reason, and self-restraint. I find Aurelius very fascinating, especially being a Roman emperor. And if you know your history, most Roman emperors were just downright terrible people, right? They they all believed they were gods. So talk about having a god complex. And they had absolute power. And, you know, I think it was Abraham Lincoln said, if you want to see someone's character, give him power. And so most emperors were just terrible people. They They... They spent all their money, they weren't just, they had parties, they, you know, they didn't really care about uh, ruling or being a good uh, leader or emperor. And here, Marcus Aurelius is still very esteemed today, many, 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 many centuries later. And so I, I find that very interesting, and that's why I thought we could learn something from him. You know, most of our elected leaders in Washington, they have the opposite reputation, right? If you say politician today, it's kind of like a, a, you know, a a swear word. Or if you want to make fun of somebody, call them a politician. Uh, Because a politician is almost synonymous with hypocrisy at this point. 
Uh, it really means something that a person can maintain a respectable reputation, and he, even though he has been given absolute power. So this guy Aurelius, you know, very much in the in the vein of a George Washington, someone who was given power, and instead of being corrupted by it, they really tried to use it in a positive way. So today, the three lessons of Marcus Aurelius. Lesson one. The best revenge you can have against your enemy is to not be like him. This is probably my absolute favorite quote by Aurelius. And he's got some good ones, ladies and gentlemen. I highly encourage you to go online and peruse through the many uh, just enlightened quotes of Mr. Aurelius. But this is probably my favorite one. Now, I have to confess, this is a loose translation of the actual quote which goes more like, the best revenge is to not be like the one who performed the injustice. So what does this mean? You know, if we were in class right now, I would let this hang, I would have this written on the board, and I would let the students read it and kind of ponder it. So let me read it again, and then you guys, as you're in your cars or however you're listening to this podcast, thank you for your support, by the way, What do you think this means? The best revenge you can have against your enemy is to not be like him. Think about that for a moment. The best revenge you can have. That seems contradictory, right? Isn't revenge all about repayment? Getting someone back? Fire with fire? Eye for an eye? I have to admit, revenge movies are some of my favorite. That's probably because we all have that innate desire for justice righting a wrong, getting the bad guy, paying him back. Best revenge is, what is it? The best revenge is often served cold, right? Somebody did something to you and you're going to pay him back with interest. But revenge isn't about justice. You know, Gandhi had a great saying that's kind of related to this. He said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Now, many people like that quote because they think it's a swipe at the Bible, which, of course, it isn't. The entire point of an eye versus an eye that's found in the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, is about restoring balance. Justice is about finding balance. A damage to life or to limb should be repaid by life or limb of the offender. Nothing more, nothing less. So, for example, if you were to steal something you should pay it back. If you were to damage somebody's car, you you borrowed somebody's car and you damaged it, you should pay for its restoration. That's justice. Revenge is more like you uh, offended me, so I'm going to burn your house down, right? Making them pay, making them feel the embarrassment that you felt, right? Really sticking it to them. And that's Gandhi's point. In his quote, if we all took revenge, we'd all be half blind and injured. And that's what makes Aurelius' statement so profound. The best revenge is not being like your enemy, overlooking a slight, taking the high ground, refusing to be pulled down into the gutter, and most importantly, resisting the urge to perpetuate the cycle of disrespect and hatred. You know, as you get older, you realize that when people hurt you, they're really something going on with them. It's not really you. You know, uh, there's a saying in education, hurt people 
tend to hurt people. And it's true. Some people have never had one positive influence in their life. So being rude, being vindictive, being disrespectful, being loud, being ignorant, it's all they know because it's all they've been shown. I had a student tell me uh, just a little while ago that he he refuses to be disrespected. Mr. Palumbo, I ain't going to be disrespected by nobody. And he was he was confusing correction, being corrected as disrespectful. So imagine going through life with that perspective. Anytime someone says, hey, buddy, I noticed, you know, you did this and I just wanted to point this out. You know, maybe you could chill out. Hey, man, don't disrespect me. No, correction is correction, right? We all need it. We all make mistakes. But if you go around your whole life thinking correction is disrespect, you are, you're in a bad place. You're, in a, you're never going to find any growth in life, and you're going to be mad at everybody. And obviously, you're never going to look at what's going on with your life and how to change it. We have to really think uh, on a more higher plane here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. What does revenge or payback get you in the end? You know, I can tend to have a very sharp tongue. Uh, You catch me on the wrong day and I can really zing you. I can really uh, put somebody in their place, uh, especially if they get on my nerves. And we've all had this situation, right? People are annoying, they're rude, they're condescending. And finally you've had enough and you just let loose on them, full nuke. You make fun of them, you mock them. And uh, trust me, they're not innocent. You know, they've been picking on you the whole time or they've just been rude the whole time and you're kind of putting them back in their place. But after you humiliate them or after you crush them, you know, you might feel good for a little bit. You're like, ha ha, I got him. But I mean, I've seen people melt. I mean, they just did not see it coming. They did not see how rude they were. They were totally oblivious. And then I turn around and just zing them. And, they, and it, it's, I've seen their faces fall and you, you don't feel better. You don't feel better. It, it's like... It's like when a child is bugging you and bugging you and bugging you, the child doesn't know any different. And how many people are in your lives that just don't know any better? They just don't know any better. So you picking a fight with them or you making fun of them, it, it, there's no, nothing is going to come of it but just a cycle of uh, more disrespect and more revenge, right? That's the one thing about revenge. You guys have heard of the Hatfields and McCoys, right? And it, it, it's, it's synonymous now with just these, these feuds, these family feuds, not the, not the game show, but these family feuds. And do you know people died in the Hatfield and McCoy uh, family feud? People died, and I think it was over a pig. It started over who owned a pig. So people died because of a pig. So instead of an eye for an eye, which as Gandhi said, is just going to leave us all partially damaged and, and, and disfigured. What about the law of reciprocity? Well, what's that? The law of reciprocity, and I'm glad you asked what that is, is a phenomena that occurs when you seek to replicate or positively respond to a good deed done to you. Someone buys you a present and you feel obligated to buy them one. We've all had this in life. Someone uh, buys you dinner, and you weren't expecting it, so you feel obligated to pay next time. The law of reciprocity is a desire to do good for someone who is doing good to you. 
It works almost all of the time. Not always, of course. But you'd be surprised how many people respond to a smile, a compliment, a small act of kindness. In our cruel and dark world, you'd be surprised how many people respond to just a little bit of positivity. In a world where women are constantly degraded by themselves and others, where men are mocked and put down, where kids are not allowed to do anything and they're tossed by a wave of the seas of immorality, you'd be surprised what a hello, a good morning, a coffee, a compliment, an encouragement would do. The best revenge we can have on our enemy is to not be like him. Lesson number two, our life is what our thoughts make it. Aurelius has a lot of comments on the power of a person's thought. This has a lot to do with the Stoicism that he studied. You might have heard the term, he was very Stoic, which means a person is like a statue, right? No emotion. And that's where the word, that's where we get the word Stoicism. And that's what I always thought Stoicism was, just this philosophy of being anti-emotion. But it's really more than that. Stoicism is the more, you know, the more I learn about it, it's not anti-emotion, but pro-self-control. It's about not avoiding pain or suffering, but realizing that they're states of mind, right? Happiness is a state of mind. Depression is a state of mind. Pain, in some ways, is a state of mind. And Stoics believe a person should not let the outside influences rob them of their inner peace, The mind and the body connection are real, boys and girls. There are tons of studies out there that you can look up, and I encourage you to do show, that show how healing is tied to the perception of the mind and the uh, state of mind. You know, this is why hospitals, uh, if you ever notice, hospitals have a lot of nature themes, and there's waterfalls, and there's water features in the halls, and there's there's, you know, greenhouses in the middle and the, and, the, and the wallpaper's got leaves and flowers. That's because there's a connection between nature and healing because of our mind, right? We're still creatures of the earth, right? The other concept is the placebo. What is a placebo? It's nothing. It's a pill with nothing in it that the doctor tells you is something. And in many cases, you feel better. Your symptoms go away right? That's the power of the mind. And if the mind is so powerful, you guys, how we think about ourselves is going to dictate how we view life. Like I said, there are many studies that you can look up about the power of the mind and what it has on the body, the power of the mind over the body. Happy people live longer and are healthier than negative people. Stress and depression attack the mind which then attacks the body. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, our life is what we think it is. We are as good as we think we are. We are as blessed or as cursed as we think we are. This is coming from a natural pessimist, guys. I am no uh, rose-colored glasses guy, okay? I'm a very negative person by nature. But as I get older and as I mature, I'm, I'm learning that being negative doesn't add anything to the equation. In many cases, it just adds to the angst. 
So today, if you think your life sucks, it does. If you think you're too fat, you are. If you think you're ugly, you are. If you think you'll never get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you probably won't. Your brain does not know the difference. Whatever you feel is what's going to be. If you feel like you're never going to succeed, you probably won't. We have to change the way we view life and we have to fight against these negative thoughts. Just as Marcus Aurelius says, your life is what your thoughts make it. Okay, and finally, lesson number three, be tolerant with others and strict with yourself. Be tolerant with others and strict with yourself. Again, drawing from his Stoic worldview, Aurelius talking to himself and by extension reminding us that there are many things outside of our control. We don't like to think in those terms, but it's true. One of the more obvious examples of this is other people. And this kind of ties into our first lesson. We can't control other people. We don't share the same beliefs and values with everyone. We can't force other people to be nice, to be courteous, to be respectful. All we can do is attempt to foster those things within ourselves. You know, Jesus talks about this concept in the New Testament when he says, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What's the point? The point is to worry first and foremost about yourself and your own actions before you start looking down on others. We all fall short, yet we're so quick to point out other mistakes. We're so quick to point out others' faults while ignoring the fact that we do the same thing. I guess it's different when we do it, right? Wrong. It's not appropriate when they do it, and it's not appropriate when we do it. We give ourselves the pass, and we hold others to account. That's being a hypocrite, boys and girls. No. Hold yourself to account. Hold yourself to the fire. Hold yourself to a standard. Don't worry about them. Worry about yourself. Another component to this, Aurelius is giving us the idea of setting standards for ourselves. But we don't like setting standards for ourselves. And life will not set you a standard. Life will let you linger. Life will let you falter. Life will let you fail. Life does not care about you. The world does not care about you. You have to set standards for yourself. If you want to be a cheater or a liar, the universe is not going to stop you. At the end of the day, you want to be able to say, I'm a good person. And that's why we all make excuses, right? We have more excuses than there are Smiths in the phone book. What's a phone book? Never mind. But you get my point, I hope. Instead of making standards or a code of ethics to live by, we just live and we change our standards depending on the situation. Why is that? Because having high expectations in life comes with accountability. And I don't know anyone who loves accountability. So there you have it, folks. The three lessons from Marcus Aurelius. Lesson one. The best revenge you can have on your enemy is to not be like him. Lesson two. Your life is what your thoughts make it. And lesson three, be tolerant with others and strict with yourself. 
Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you liked this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating. If you'd like to email me and contribute to the mailbag, please do so at ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. If you're interested in some of my lessons, please go to TeachersPayTeachers.com and you can buy lessons there. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.